Hi there. This is Ollie from Tech Stock Exchange here. What you're about to listen to is an edited recording of an event that happened at the Poplar Union that formed the culmination of a project we delivered over the first half of 2022 called You, Me, The World and This Moment. The project consisted of us visiting lots of different community groups from across East London and asking people to talk about their experiences of the pandemic, how they were feeling now in this moment and how they were looking forward to the future. And what you're about to hear is six stories told by me and Nick Kassenbaum with musical accompaniment from Anna Lowenstein that we created as a result of those discussions and also some of the people who are present at the event at Poplar Union discussing these stories. Enjoy. Uh, okay, everyone. So, um, in a moment, uh, we are going to tell you six stories in two sets of three. And these six stories are about what happened when we went to different community groups all over East London and asked the people there the same four questions. Okay, we're going to tell our first story now. And this story is called One Rule for One and then Another Rule for Another. This is our honorary member. The phrase is shouted across the room. We are at an all-male social club at their weekly gathering. The meeting takes place in a small community room nestled at the heart of a housing estate somewhere in Poplar. The members are making each other cups of tea and chatting about a few different things. One, sitting proudly in his wheelchair, wearing a West Ham shirt, seems to bring every avenue of conversation back to his beloved team and lets each person who walks in hear the latest chant he's picked up from the terraces. Uh, some of the members thought today's meeting was going to be about prostate cancer. No, Nick and I have to explain a number of times to people as they come into the room. That's not what we're here to talk about today. There's a look of relief on people's faces when we do. And this is especially true of the honorary member who's just walked in, who, as it happens, is a woman. Hence her membership of this all-male social club being honorary, I guess. So, what usually happens at your meetings? Says Ollie. The group's facilitator, a northern man, bright-faced, big moustache, explains that... Sometimes we just talk. Sometimes we play music. Sometimes we play games. Not kiss chase, says the honorary member. There's laughter. <laughs> so, uh, what's on your mind today? Says Ollie. Sex. <laughs> says the honorary member. <laughs> a, ma <laughs> a man with a very loud, kind of high-pitched voice cackles, cheers and bangs the table. No, not really, she says. I've just come from work mode and I'm a bit stressed. Been on the new tills all morning. She wears a Marks and Spencer's workers uniform. <laughs> hair pulled back into a ponytail. Black polo neck shirt with the M&S logo. Black trousers. Her black face mask was hanging from one ear as she uh, came into the room, but she's since taken it off and carefully placed it on a piece of tissue paper that's on the table next to her. Nick got his top from M&S. Ollie says, yeah, me too, she says, pointing at the logo on her uniform. <laughs> Everyone laughs again. <laughs> when this pandemic started, I was quite annoyed, says the man with the high-pitched voice. His voice is very loud and there's something about it that makes it sound like he's either delighted or outraged at everything he's saying. Because when I found out about all the government saying this, that, this, that, this, that, this, and yet they was doing differently totally from what we were doing. And to me, it's just annoying. I just feel sorry for all those people who lost their lives. It's just ridiculous, it really is. Yeah, I've lost a couple of members of family. Says the honorary member. And then my son got it and he has asthma. And then again, he was on his own and I couldn't go down there or anything, you know, to help him out and that. The man who runs the group tells us about his sister who's got leukaemia and has been isolating for two years. 
You get to our age, he says, and it could be round the corner. That's why we have a laugh and a joke in here. You never know, do you? This is the place where we escape. The rest of the room shouts, yes. yes. And there's more loud, distinctive laughter. The man with the delighted, outraged voice says, There are vulnerable people who live alone. How can we help people we don't know? And those people who don't wear masks to look after other people, what does that say about people? The honorary member takes over. Do you remember when COVID started and it was mandatory to wear masks wherever you went, right? And at the time, some of us were standing on the doors to make sure people come in and had their masks on and that. Where my story is, we're right across the way from the walkie-talkie building, right in the centre of the office people. You'd be surprised how many rude people there is. One of them even told my colleague to F off just for asking him to wear a mask. One evening, I was going to do the late shift. I politely asked the woman to put one back on. She really gave attitude. It really pissed me off. Takes a lot to get me angry. Then about 15 minutes later, I see her coming my way. So I like turned my back slightly so I couldn't see her. But you know what? She come up to me and apologised. She said, I'm sorry for the way I spoke. And I thought, why can't more people be like that? Do you know what I mean? It does make you think, says the man with a delighted, outraged voice. What does it make you think? There can't be one rule for one, then another rule for another. But clearly there is. It shouldn't be like that. The man who runs the group has been sitting, listening, twitching, grunting agreement at different moments. But now he jumps in. It's all about the social contract. He states emphatically the softness of his Salford accent giving way to something more declarative. We all live in a society, but there is this idea that you as an individual can do as you please. But this virus don't play that game. Your actions have consequences. So even if you think you haven't got it, you might be spreading it to someone else. So what you do impacts on what other people do. It's like the politicians. They can't say you must do this, but actually I'm going to do something else. People say, it's my life, I'll do what I please. But it doesn't work like that. You can't go around shooting people. You can't go around libeling people. You can't run into a cinema and shout fire because it's your right. Everything you do has a limit. And people, he says, should look after each other. Okay, this next story is called That Felt Good, Being a Rebel. People who lost their job because of the pandemic are now struggling. Food banks, shops closing. Who would have thought Debenhams would have shut down? The high street is getting so empty. We're on a Zoom. This is a group of writers that usually meet in person at a library in Redbridge. We've met them many times before, but never on Zoom. But since the beginning of the pandemic, they've only met online. The woman who runs the group is talking. Her face is framed with thick black curly hair and dark rimmed glasses. She sits in front of a stark white wall, quite still, quite held, but her face is always somewhere between a half smile and a big grin. I think it's changed the world. I think people have also worked out how important contact is. Human contact, the importance of touch, seeing people face to face. I've been in lonely places before. I've been isolated. Essentially, we are group animals. We are not meant to live in isolation. And Zoom and meeting people it's not the same as actually giving someone a hug, unless you break the rules. Did you ever break the rules? Yes. She answers without leaving a beat. Seeing my kids. My older daughter had been living in America. As soon as I saw her, of course I gave her a hug. It's horrible otherwise. It's the turn of a woman who has her camera off. All we can see is a black box with her name on it being highlighted by green line. As she speaks, she takes a moment to think and then 
The pandemic brought out a lot of things to the surface that have been bubbling along for a long time, which everyone has been too busy or not bothered about. Lack of support and funding to the NHS, sustainability and environmental issues, the fact there are huge sections of the society unfairly treated and people's outrage to that. I think we've been through a long period of time where it's been all me, 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 my little family unit, and not really caring who lives next door. And I think people have started to see that it's more important to look outside of your own front door and interact. Ollie probes a little further, asking about how these things have affected her personally. The NHS. Right at the beginning, there was the whole rainbow walks thing. I don't know if you remember. My kids drew their own to show their support. And they noticed there weren't as many windows as they expected filled with rainbows. We talked about it as we were walking round, trying to come up with reasons as to why that might be. For them, it was the first time they'd been a part of something that goes beyond their little school life, home life. And it was a disappointment for them to see that not as many people cared as much as they did. Because, you know, kids have a really good sense of right and wrong. And then the Black Lives Matter things. For me, it was this sense of horror that we are in that situation. You have to be careful what you put on children's shoulders. But it did come up in conversation. They definitely recognise that things aren't working. But it's how you fix those things is where they felt stumped. final woman seems excited to speak. She's got this little bob of grey hair and she offers affirmations while other people are speaking in the form of mmms. She's got this big smile across her face and it's been there the whole conversation. Her camera sits below her chin and it's aimed up at her face which makes her smile seem even bigger. On breaking the rules, she says and immediately giggles. One of the times we were allowed to meet we had a picnic in my garden. My daughter came with my grandchildren and I got chairs and we took food downstairs and everything. And my grandson said he needed to go to the toilet. And I came up with him. And we had a cuddle. I said to him, you don't mind, do you? Let's have a cuddle, darling. I haven't seen you for months. And we just had a little cuddle. He jumped on my bed and we grabbed each other and, oh, for goodness sake. She appears to well up a little and then regains her composure. And it was the only time we'd broken a rule. That was it. But, but, that was nice, you know, being a, a, a rebel. So this is our last story from part one, and we've called this story, I Think That Will Do. We are in a community centre on the border of Islington and the City of London. We are with a group of women who meet regularly to talk to one another, listen to one another and have lunch with one another. The room sits in a low, cool light. On one side, large sliding doors reveal a vegetable garden outside, abundant, well maintained. The woman who runs the group, who works at the community centre, speaks with a soft Scottish accent. I ran a food bank from day one of the pandemic and we watched people queue and we had no food. Seeing people financially struggle, I've seen people that were so embarrassed that they were in a situation where they had to come to get food. I know of people where, people who are working, who are watching what they buy to eat, who are struggling. For example, my daughter, she's the breadwinner. She's on a good wage, but with childcare, they got a mortgage just before the pandemic. I'm helping her out with food. So that has an impact on my finances. And she's proud. But they haven't got it nearly as bad as the people I work with on a daily basis. People I'm in awe of. I saw this bizarre thing this morning where they were teaching how to cook a cheap meal quickly so you don't have to use as much electricity or gas. And I thought, my God, is this what it's going to be like? 
dealing with people who were frightened and scared because they were angry. They were in a situation. I found that dealing with them with kindness, kind, kind, kindness just wins over everything. I think I'm a nicer person now. I get less stressed about things. I don't want to see... I've changed the way I look at people. I've seen people that I thought were not very nice and realized that for every person's behavior, there's a reason. And that's changed me. When we were first doing the food bank, we'd have someone that would come in who'd be really degrading. I want that, that, that. They would not say please or thank you. But we kept going. And within about six months, she was cracking jokes with us, cuddling us, bringing us gifts. We just kept being kind. And she pauses for a moment, goes to start speaking again, then says, and I think that'll do. It feels like the whole room takes an intake of breath, holds it for a moment. There was an emptiness. All the buildings were empty. Another woman says, speaking softly. And people go into themselves. As soon as you talk about it, you can sort it out and be happy says a woman whose voice is soft, but whose accent makes it zing into the air. And help each other. Everybody needs help, you know. There's my friend. I recently phoned her and she couldn't recognise my voice, you know. I was worried. I said, what's going on? We used to go to the same school together, so I went to see her. When I saw her, I was so shocked. She can't remember things. They often get a carer to look after her. All her children have grown up. The husband left her. So I said, what's going on? What can I do for you? And when I came back home, she rang me to say thank you for coming. I said, don't worry. I'm there for you if you need any help. Don't worry. You do what you can for people because then when you look back... It's been such a profound thing. Another woman energetically announces. It has altered me. It has made me... It sounds cliched, really, but it sort of makes you realise, you know, what really matters. And actually what matters when it comes down to it is your family, your friends, your community and caring for each other and being there for each other. And actually, that's quite simple. It's quite hard to put into words a lot of this. And I feel like we need time. There are great lessons to learn from what has happened. Says another woman speaking clearly and slowly. I feel that if we learn, the future will be good. that everybody so that's the end of part one we've heard three stories what we'd like to do now before we move on to the next section is to hear about what people have been talking about when we do this work when we do these stories we run these workshops we do something like this we're trying to build a conversation and build people's uh, awareness of the conversation so uh, we'd love to hear people just uh, just to report back on any of the conversations that they've had about any of the three. <laughs> All of the stories contained almost word for word conversations that me and my friends have had and it, it brought home those connections to me that everybody was in the same boat, everybody had the same experience, everybody was lonely, everybody couldn't hug somebody and we were talking about the disconnect between how careful people were and how importantly they, they took their role and what the government would do. And, and that anger that is still very, very present for a lot of people, because the story, like the, the grandmother who couldn't hug her child or, or did do it in the end, but everyone was terrified trying to do the right thing and, and the people who made the rules weren't doing that. Thank you. And I think tying into that, I don't know if other people did, but it actually made me feel very emotional because mm. there's so much that we haven't worked through. Mm -hmm. And I know throughout history, you know, after the war, we just sort of carried on and, you know, that keep calm and carry on thing. But there's so much, I, I could feel it in other people when they were mm -hmm. talking in the group. There's so much emotionally that we're holding on to that, that we're just not having the opportunity to work through. It's mm -hmm. almost like, you know, it's the draw a line under it and just, you know, go on to the next thing. And, and 
it made me remember things that I'd actually forgotten how I felt two years ago that I'd actually kind of pushed to the back of my mind and made me feel very emotional mm -hmm. as well. We spoke about the one rule for us and one rule for them and, and the whole party gate thing. Most, you know, we've sort of shared some experience of some of the things that we went through um, and, uh, and even though that sort of bothered us, um, you know, that they're not uh, obeying the rules, I think we were far, far angrier at things they've done since and things not related to that, um, to be honest with you. We were talking about in the middle of the pandemic, it felt like we were going to come, at the end of it, we were going to be, a, we'd have a kind of better world, mm -hmm. but it feels like we've sort of moved away from that again. Mm -hmm. And if anything, it feels, I don't know, yeah, it feels just we've, we've we had an opportunity and we've missed it and we've moved away from that and it, we, we seem to have reverted back to almost to type really and felt to a certain extent maybe it's the way we've, we've been led as a country or, or whatever. So there was an opportunity for us for the world to change but we, I think we've missed it. I think what it did is not until you get to something like this and you hear other people saying, like saying what it is but slightly different and when everyone's getting together and they're thinking, Oh yeah, that says that affected me in this way, or it affected my friend in that way. It's not until you get to something like this, you suddenly realise how much it has affected people. And I think it's just the way out to me, the way people have been brought up and all. It's like what you said. It's like um, the way I was brought up with my parents, with my dad, is what's it? Um, men are not supposed to cry. They can't show this. But it's not until you get something like this that you suddenly realise why can't I? And why can't I do this? To me, that's what it that's what it seems to me. Mm. Kind of building on both those things. It's so uh, it's such a beautiful space you've created to reflect on this time that we've all been through. I haven't yeah, I've also felt quite emotional actually thinking about it again. That as a house I live communally and we spoke about it a lot at the time, but then when things started opening up I, I also was part of that, the, these, yeah, the same thoughts of wanting to change and we've got this opportunity and, and then pubs and whatever opened up and I just went back like the rest of the country and forgot about all those conversations we were having before. So it's been really nice to think about those things and we had been talking a little bit about the things that you, you were saying about the things that you feel like have stayed with us a little bit. Do you want to say? Kind of yeah. like fragments of the things that we felt way more during the pandemic with not being able to interact with people and taking things for granted as well. Mm. We've kind of gone back to where we were before, but little parts of it have stuck with us. Mm. And that's some sort of consolation, even. Mm -hmm. That we have taken something away from it. We appreciate hanging out with people more mm -hmm. than we have before the pandemic. We appreciate even being able to go to a restaurant for a meal. And we didn't necessarily appreciate that kind of stuff before because it was never taken away from us. Mm -hmm. So it's not like all is lost. Yeah. We, have, we have taken some of it. Hurrah. We could have taken, <laughs> we should have taken way more. <laughs> 100% true, but it hasn't all been in vain. It, it strikes me now that we're almost being invited to return to the groups that we were in before. With uh, I mean, we've got strikes now, which leads to a division. We have the war in Ukraine, so we have our enemies again. Um, and in, in every kind of situation, we're reverting to type. And uh, like our friend here, I only hope that we remember that we do have the capacity to be like that, to be community-minded, to be aware of other people's feelings and situations. Um, but yeah, I feel that society is forcing us back into our little groups so that we don't, um, so we can carry on as before, despising the people we despised and uh, fighting the people we fought then. Following up on that, um, and following up on the, the name of one of your stories, 
is that in that environment where we are all going back to the structural problems we had before and, and even magnifying them, that this feels like an act of rebellion, actually. Mm. That sharing these stories with people you don't know yeah. from different mm. places feels like a, an important act of rebellion. Mm. And I think, carry on from what you said, I think that a lot of people are now looking outside of the um, given structures for political or social rebellion and change, and that they're actually working like like um, they're looking outside the box basically, and they're they're looking and 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 finding ways of rebelling and building alternatives that aren't within the given political structure or the power structure and stuff like that. And I think that's the way forward. And that came from COVID, where we had like COVID organised support organisations and we had like food banks um, organising voluntarily to get people to bring food and stuff like that. So that we've seen that there are other ways that we can organise, that it doesn't have to be in a party political or a power structure kind of, of way. We don't have to do it from within, we can do it from outside. I, I, that's something I think has come through quite importantly. Thank you. Would anyone else like to say anything? Before the pandemic even started, I was living alone. And I didn't have much social interaction. I've never needed that as a person. But so when the pandemic kicked in and people were like talking about how they miss things and how it's affecting them, I couldn't really relate because it wasn't affecting me. I was still living alone. I was still having no very little social interaction. And it was just more of the same. But hearing all these stories and speaking to people how it affected them as it was even happening made me realize to an extent how much was missing from my life as well. So the old pandemic, as bad as it was on a personal level, kind of changed, it changed all of us, but it changed a lot of me as well for the better. And I think on some level it's done that to many, many, many people who've, again, come to appreciate and be more alive and want to do more things, get out more, see people more and kind of return to, instead of being in the box and the status quo of daily life, kind of just be alive. And that is a really good thing. Thank you. I actually feel like... We've covered a lot in that short period of time in a lot of different territories. So I'm going to pause it there. Nick. Thanks. So we're going to move on to part two, which is our second set of stories. Before we do, thank you all for your generosity and clarity there in that conversation. So we're going to move on to the second set of stories now. We've called this first one, I Miss 2019 When Everyone Was at the Beach. I have a whole lot of complaining about it. Young girl with blonde hair tied in a ponytail, wearing a school uniform which gives the impression of once being neat, says. She speaks very quickly. We are with three children at a community centre cafe in the city of London at an after school club. One year six, two year sevens. We sit by big windows that look out onto a busy road. As the children sit with us, they fidget. Uh, trying secretly to eat Kit Kats and other snacks as well. We explain... We really don't mind if you eat in front of us. It's OK, guys. The girl goes on with her complaints. Everything was rubbish. They made us work from home and my sister kept pulling my hair. <laughs> a small boy with long hair interjects. It's not her fault. Send a letter to Boris Johnson. I will, I will, she says. We only had one device to share and she wanted to watch TV. A lot of shops were closed. It was very annoying having everyone back at home. I like my dad going to the office because he brings back snacks. It was horrible. <laughs> the boy shares his experience. I had to go to school and do a full day because my parents were working. There were only 10 of us. We had to do an extra three hours of school. There is another girl who speaks slower than the first but still at quite a speed. 
and her uniform is a little neater. She says... Before Covid, I was 20-20 vision, now minus two because of computer. We ask... <laughs> Do you think the world has changed forever? She says... I'm not sure. I'm not sure. If things go back to normal, I think we'll all be dead before that happens. Climate change is going to change it all. And how does that make you feel? Sad and scared, because I missed 2019 when everyone was at the beach. I remembered watching a documentary I watched about how wildlife and the environment got better during Covid. The fast-talking girl announces. And in India, you could see mountains you couldn't see before. Things went really well for the animals in Covid, but it's going to go back to normal. But Covid has slowed it down. She stuffs some food in her mouth, chews and goes on speaking. It's kind of nice but annoying. Some things change for the better, some things for the worst. The boy says... I remembered I never got to see my friends and I used to feel lonely at home. Now I have loads of friends, but in the pandemic I only had one or two. I changed my accent. I used to be the type of girl who would wear pink and skirts, now I don't. Now I wear trousers. I used to be someone who played lots of sports and now I don't. With sports I couldn't do any. Costumes I decided to stop dressing up and wear clothes that were comfortable. And I couldn't get to talk to people so I wasn't bothered to talk. Agree or disagree, the future will be better than the present. You never know what the future holds, says the fast-talking girl. It will be better says the boy. Boris will get fired. <laughs> it's not going to get better, says the girl who's a little more neatly dressed. Because of climate change. Oh, she adds. I think it might get better because I'm going to go to South End. This next story is called The Knock-On Effect. Agree or disagree, I am happy to talk about the pandemic. A young woman half smiles, doesn't say anything, but holds up her hand and does this. Well, says a young man wearing a black t-shirt, artwork of a heavy metal band splashed across it, long hair. There are things I want to talk about. There are certain things I don't want to talk about. We're at a youth centre somewhere in a rural part of Redbridge. It's evening, but the late spring sky outside is still light, soft. Inside, everything is really bright. There's a TV on mute, two pool tables, coloured pencils. Every inch of wall is filled with colour. We're at an evening club for children with special educational needs. There are about 15 of us sat round the tables that have been pushed together. People from many generations. There are almost as many support workers sitting round the table as there are teenagers. Agree or disagree, the pandemic has changed the world and it will never be the same again. If Boris just woke up and felt the damn coffee, he'd know what to do. Says one young man in very animated fashion, as he does so beaming at everyone else. We've got our first mention of Boris, says Ollie. Always delighted when his name comes up. <laughs> the animated young man replies, but this time speaks with a little less oomph in his voice. I just wish it was like before, when we would go and see who we wanted to. It's not been all bad, says the woman who coordinates the group. Everyone else around the table intently listening to her. There have been some good things about it. People are more aware of hygiene now. People wash their hands more now although the queue for the men's toilet seems to have disappeared again. Do you remember earlier on in the pandemic, the queues for the men's toilets got long, but now they've disappeared again, which I take to mean that men are not washing their hands again. <laughs> People laugh. A couple of the males sat around the table protest. The women were probably stealing the toilet roll, says one. <laughs> There's a sort of poll conducted, directing at the men and young men around the table, asking whether they wash their hands after they've used the toilet. Yes, yes I do, says the animated young man, sounding like he's reading a prepared answer from a script. I even had a shower before I came here, shouts someone else. <laughs> I think the world has changed, and I think that every day, says one of the support workers. Slouched shoulders, she sits further back from the tables than everyone else. I work in social care. I look after people with mental health and learning difficulties in their own home. So even just going to work was scary. All my staff were anxious. I was really anxious and it affected all of us in various different ways. And up to today, it still does. 
For my role as a manager, the pressure was immense. I can't tell you. You got the government, you got the council, you got parents, friends, the residents themselves, and my team and the manager telling you what to do and what not to do. And things are changing so rapidly, it takes a toll, a really big toll. The room is very quiet. She goes on. Um, so I lost quite a few people close to me. And I've seen someone who lost their job, who was also close to me, broken to pieces. Money was really tight. It was really, really difficult for them. And that had an impact on my life as well. And I think for me, I just had to put this facade on, pretend everything's okay and just continue on with everything. Supporting people like I do in my jobs, you need to make sure that their mental well-being is okay. If you show that you're breaking down, it might have an adverse effect on them. So you have to make sure you're doing okay. It's called the knock-on effect, says the young man wearing the heavy metal t-shirt. That's right, she says, and then adds. It's tough. How are you doing today? I'm okay, she says. I think so. She leans towards the table, takes a chocolate and pops it into her mouth. The conversation moves on. The young man who mentioned the knock-on effect says what's on his mind. A lot of things, really. I'm not saying that if anyone lost anyone, big whoop or whatever, because I lost someone during it too, so I know how that feels and it isn't nice. But within human history, we've defeated these things and we've bounced back from them and everything went back to normal. He punches his hand as he says this. So who's to say we can't do the same now? It might not happen in our lifetime, it might not be in our kids' lifetime, but it will happen eventually, in my opinion, at least. story. It's called Stronger But I'm Getting Old. We stand outside a community centre in the heart of a housing estate in the City of London. As we press the buzzer to go in, we realise this is the first in-person workshop Ollie and I have run together in two years. We look at each other, breathe, and walk into the building. This is a weekly social group for older people. We're greeted by the group's organiser, a woman we've met before. She has a big smile on her face, streaks of blue dye in her hair that were red the last time we saw her. She hugs us. She tells us that this is the first time the group are meeting together, in person, in real life, since the beginning of the pandemic, and says that we must stay for fish and chips afterwards. We walk into the room where the workshop is going to take place. Tables are moved to create a big horseshoe and name tags are given out. The older people arrive, some moving slower than others, some being helped by volunteers. People chat to one another, find a spot to sit, some balance canes on the wall behind them. Cups of tea are offered and brought to anyone who wants one by an efficient bundle of volunteers. Ollie stands in the middle of the horseshoe of tables and asks, can people tell me if they agree or disagree with the following statement? I am excited to talk about the pandemic. People groan, put their thumbs down. There's even some booing. <laughs> Ollie remarks, This is the first workshop we've done in real life for two years and two minutes in, I'm being booed. <laughs> and so, for the first time in two years, we deliver a workshop in real life. A workshop we've carefully designed to get people talking about the pandemic and everyone steadfastly refuses to say anything about the pandemic. <laughs> but everyone, it appears, is very happy to talk about everything else. And they do. Over the course of answering the first question... Agree or disagree, the world has changed and it will never be the same again. Almost every topic under the sun is mentioned. The climate emergency, issues with neighbours, books, which books, all the books, the internet, previous and future generations, the social order, but not the pandemic. In fact, people talk at such length that by the time we get round to asking the second question, agree or disagree, I have changed and I will never be the same again, there's very little time for people to answer in full. So instead, I ask everyone to say one short sentence. 
I'm changing. I'm beginning to look like my old man. I think I've changed for the better. I think I've learnt a lot more as I've got older, yeah. Stronger, but I'm getting old. I have changed, because when I was younger, I was the mouse behind the door. Now I say what I think and I don't care. I've changed and I consider that I've changed for the better. I've changed, but I don't know into what. <laughs> changed a great deal. I used to go out and do everything, but now I just stay at home and go to the park across the road. Ugh. I've changed. We used to be people who went to the theatre. We used to see Shakespeare, most of all. And now it's been two years at least, more than that, since we've seen anything. And I think that's a great shame. I've proven myself. That's an important statement, someone else says. I haven't proven myself at all. I feel very content. That's what I was going to say. We've done so much with our lives that we could go tomorrow and we'd be happy. That could be arranged. <laughs> I feel a bit calmer these days. As a youngster, I was in the military for nine years. Then I went to the NHS and I saw a lot of death on either side. And it used to worry me. Then eventually I went to India with the Dalai Lama's office and studied meditation. And now I try to live in the now and I don't worry about the future or the past. Now, I said I didn't think I had changed. And the reason for that is I'm still kind of raging, trying to stay the young person I used to be, in charge of everything and in control of everything. And I suspect age is going to take that away from me before too long, but I am still raging at the moment. Well, I just take life as it is, and it's floating along, and as it keeps changing, I adapt my condition to the change, taking into consideration what is best for me. Yes, of course, we've all got older, and it's sad that we can't do the things now that we want to, but reality kicks in. Have I changed? I would say a bit late in life, but I'm going through that phase now of change. What is possible? What do I want? Can I do that? Check in with me next year and I'll let you know. OK, someone shouts. Time for fish and chips. And fish and chips are served. And we and everyone else sit together eating fish and chips and talking. Just like we used to. Okay, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, so, as we did before, uh, we'd just love to hear some of what people have been talking about. Would anyone like to share? All is not lost. <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> Indeed. The, uh, the stories you just told was quite different from what I was expecting because you know the bit, the one about the. Uh, the teenager who wanted to go back to the beach when she got to go. Just, I'm sorry, but it just made me so much laughter. <laughs> and uh, I think when you guys tell a story, it's, I know it's like, duh, 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 but it really does get to me because I'm thinking you're making us taking it all in. And it, you know, sometimes it really does get to you. You think, wow, you know. I wonder what it's like to like be that person, like um, like the school child or the uh, the person <coughs> who was doing the uh, thing with her daughter about the money situation, things like that. And I've really, really come to terms that I think this has been absolutely fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I'd like yeah. to ask a, a question of, of everybody here and ask: Do do we feel like survivors? Is there a sense of having been through something? Do we feel like we've dodged a bullet? I think I think older people are survivors every day. Yeah. It's not a new thing for them. Mm -hmm. yeah, but then again, though, we've all got through it, and mm. this is how we are now. Have we? <laughs> the fourth and fifth train are on their way. <laughs> Germany are discussing mandating mass from October to April. So I. Not so sure that it's over, folks. The fat lady has not yet sung. No. So I hate to be the doom gloom yeah, man, but <laughs> there is a question mark about how far we are through it or if we are through it at all. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 
I've got my mask in my pocket. I'm going to keep having my mask in my pocket. I'm still going to wear it on the trains and on the bus mm. buses. Because mm. I've not got it. She's not got it. And we don't want it. Thanks very much. I don't care what people think about me wearing a mask. I'm going to wear a mask. It's my act of rebellion. That's just it, don't it? Nobody knows if it is over no. or not over. Something that really resonated with me, which is uh, uh, that ties in, are we survivors? Mm. Which is that really we've all been through a collective trauma. Uh, and, it, and it, it was a trauma, but I don't know that we're now treating it that way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, trauma takes some getting through, and societally we haven't put the steps in place to help everybody get through that. People might have done their own individual work or got some solace <coughs> from their family or friends or done whatever they needed to do. But on a structural level, we've not been given the tools or the help or the space mm -hmm. or the time to process what we've all been through because it's not productive to do that, you know, and, and everybody in charge has wanted us to be productive again as soon as possible. But I think there's a lot of unresolved mm. stuff going on. I think you're right about productivity, and I think productivity and profits and greed are at the basis of what you were talking about, about people not wearing masks, and mm. masks now being almost like a, a symbol of rebellion, and that the gentleman in front was saying about how no one knows whether it's over or not. I think these are conscious messages that are being put forward into society. Sorry, I'm just still getting over COVID and I get a bit breathless. Um, they're being put out into society in order for us to think it's over and go to work. I don't think we are going back. I don't think you can go back. I think we are going forward and I think we were talking on the table earlier, um, a few of us, and I, I think that we're actually, the vice is being tightened, and I think a lot of people's experience of life now is getting harder and tougher and more brutal. But I think that this is a conscious decision in terms of they want us to, to go to work, they want us to use mm -hmm. the public transport, they want us to... Yeah to do things without thinking that there's going to be any risk to us at all. So we can't look at the trauma, because if we look at the trauma, then we will take um, lessons from it, we will, we will learn mm. things from it, and, and that's not, I think, sorry, I sound like some conspiracy theorist, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that, you know, it's not being done, no one's sitting down and thinking, oh yes, let's do this, rah, 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 rah. But I think that's the way it's, it's panning out. We can't afford to... We have to kind of even pretend that it's gone or nearly gone. Because otherwise we'll never, as a society, move out of kind of the hole it dug us in. Because everything kind of ground to a halt. And we have to start moving again, even though it might not be completely gone yet. But everything didn't grind to a halt. There was an alternative, wasn't there? When someone was talking earlier, I had in my head the vision of like William Blake, like heaven. And to me, that's what it was like in the, in the lockdown. It was like, you know, the, the, like we were talking about earlier, the skies were still, the people could hear the vibration of the earth. People generally were being very nice to each other and very kind mm. to each other. So. Things didn't grind to a halt. An alternative was glimpsed. And it's almost like we've got to take that away from people because otherwise, why are you going to be a wage slave? Why are you going to put up with all our rubbish if you know that you don't have to? There has to be some mechanisms that enable it, that let us afford to sit down and take a step back. Only if you live in a capitalist society. <laughs> Which we do. Yes. We do. Yes. <laughs> We do, and, I, and I'm the facilitator of this conversation. <laughs> um, I go here, and then we'll go here. The second batch of stories was very much like, I felt, yeah, we could kind of put yourself in the shoes of the people speaking who might be a different, different age bracket. And the feeling of the young the kids talking about climate emergency, but also making connections between some of the answers to how you might solve that maybe in COVID, because they were talking about how it was actually good for the animals. <laughs> that was a very sweet way of putting it. But the notion that that is very conscious in the minds of people of that age and 
it links back to what some people have been saying about things, things aren't over in the sense of there's another challenge that's ahead of us. I was reflecting on that and how they might manifest in similar ways. And in France last week, when it was so hot on Friday, when it was like 41 degrees in the cities, they had to cancel events because you couldn't be indoors in non-air-conditioned venues and stuff, so events over a certain number of people had to be stopped. And I hadn't ever thought that that might happen for things to do with temperature. And it was a sort of like a, like a little lockdown, a little mini lockdown, mm. <laughs> for temperature reasons, not for COVID reasons. Yeah, part of my job is um, working with residents um, on states, and uh, which meant I knocked on people's doors in, in, you know, to regard their building work that was going on. And I found that the estate I was working on then was about how things came to a halt. I was working through a lot of it. And um, when you knock on someone's door at 9 o'clock in the morning, you kind of, you, you ask questions about how are you. And I was very disturbed because that was a simple question. And the amount of people who would actually burst into tears by the port of saying how that how are they? You know, it wasn't just fine, it was like, oh what this to do with that and then there's COVID and so many people cried. It, I felt like I was asking like, a deep personal <coughs> question. I have to say though, I, I have my own coping mechanism now that I've I've gained from this so I go into cinemas and shout fire a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, we're coming to the end of our allotted time. <laughs> Should we give ourselves a clap? So, yeah, thank you all so much for coming and uh, being so uh, generous with your listening and your talking and the conversations we've been having. We will be launching a podcast of which you might hear, which you'll hear these stories and you may hear snippets of the conversations that you've had today. And we will be doing another show in reference. You, Me, The World and This Moment was conceived and delivered by Take Stock Exchange and funded by Arts Council England, Poplar Union and Vision Redbridge. The project happened with the support of nine different community organisations and their participants from across East London, the names of which we won't reveal to ensure people's identities are protected. But guys, you know who you are and we thank you so, so much for being a part of this. This podcast is edited and produced by Penny Bell, with music at the live events by Anna Lowenstein. The project was created by Take Stock Exchange. That's Nick Kassenbaum, Ollie Hawes and Anna Smith. We'd also like to thank Isabel and Ira, Moena, Sunny and Joss, Jesse, John Geeson, John Sheedy, Ben Abramovich, Ted Maxwell and Mary Osborne. And again, to all the people we spoke to and you for listening. We are living in challenging times and we hope against hope you are able to look after yourself and others around you. You can find out more about Take Stock Exchange and our work by going to our website, takestockexchange.co.uk.